Welcome to our Catholic Church Reform International ongoing podcast series. I'm your moderator, Rennie Reed, and our guest today is Sister Simone Campbell. She is an American Roman Catholic religious sister with the Sisters of Social Service. But beyond that, she's a lawyer, a lobbyist, and an executive director of Network, and is known as an outspoken advocate for social justice. Sister, it's so good to have you on the show today. Welcome. Good to be with you, Rini. So I know that your nuns on the bus tour had to come to a stop because of COVID and you're now doing a virtual nuns on the bus tour. Tell me about that. What's it all about? Well, I have to confess that, you know, we've done six physical tours of nuns on the bus and they're so enriching, so rewarding. So we're so able to connect with people across the country. So in April, when I realized with this pandemic, we weren't gonna be able to do a personal in-person bus tour. It took us a while to figure out what could we do? I was actually had tears in my eyes thinking we can't do this. But then what we figured out is we could do it virtually by doing, holding town halls, virtual town halls in Zoom in uh, various parts of the country. We can do site visits, which we, you know, stop at various service sites, meet with their staff, get a, a sense of some of their folks that are, you know, involved in the service. And we're able to broadcast it to a much broader audience. But my favorite part is that we put up on our website, nunsonthebus2020.org, you can, you can have your own bus tour. And everybody always says to me, oh, I want to ride the bus. I want to ride the bus. Well, this time, everybody can ride the bus. If you go to our do your own tour, click on it, register, you get a ticket that has a grayed out bus on it. And then you make stops on our map. And we've got over 180 stops up there. And after you've made 30 stops, your bus is completely filled in and you win a prize. It's really fun. It's uh, quite exciting to see people get engaged. And our goal is to educate people in our country about the differences among states, the different experiences, the different perspectives, and how we need to be a multi-issue voters because the needs are so diverse across our country and it's all connected. So it's uh, a way to both educate, stir up and get some enthusiasm going and change the conversation. It's been really fun so far. Well, it's true that so many Catholics feel that voting is a single issue responsibility, namely to vote for the candidate who outright opposes a woman's right to choose if that choice might allow for an abortion. But Pope Francis himself has come out with some guidelines about how voters should should entertain and understand their Catholic social justice issues. Generally, what is his philosophy? What is he proposing? Well, Pope Francis makes it abundantly clear that it's critically important that we protect the unborn. And he says uh, that the defense of the unborn is uh, really needs to be clear, firm, but then he says in his exhortation on holiness, he says, equally sacred, however, are the lives of the poor, those already born, the destitute, the abandoned, and the underprivileged, the vulnerable, infirm, and the elderly exposed to covert euthanasia, the victims of human trafficking, new forms of slavery, and every form of rejection. And then he says that we cannot 
be seen as affirming life, all of life, if we don't engage on the issue of racism, the issues of welcoming the migrants. I mean, and the list goes on. He says that these are equally sacred issues, equally sacred. And what I came to realize as I prayed about this is too often the media, I think it's more the media's fault, I think, putting us in this box, or politicians who want to control the Catholic vote, put us in this box of being single-issue voters. <laughs> well, no, we're not. Any Catholic with a vibrant faith has to be a multi-issue voter. I mean, that's it. Because politicians want to control us by saying it's only about the criminalization of abortion. No! It's about caring for the unborn, which I discovered as I prayed about this, is caring for the mother, the pregnant mom. We know women choose to carry a baby to term if they have access to healthcare, if they have access to economics that can support them, if they have access to reasonable childcare, if they have access to secure housing. These are all of the issues that a pregnant woman needs to carry her baby to term. So rather than being judgmental about the criminalization of abortion, I spend my energy supporting the pregnant mom so she doesn't even have to consider making that choice. Well, you and those of you at, at Network Lobby have put out a scorecard <laughs> actually measuring the many ways that Pope Francis says that we as Catholic Christians are called to protect all of the sacredness of life. And I've had a chance to really look over your scorecard and I'd, I'd like to just go over it a little bit sure. with you and with our listeners. So with in each case, Pope Francis says that we need to really weigh our own personal value. And if we understand which candidate supports the things that we value, then that needs to be taken into consideration. So for example, if a voter wants to see Roe versus Wade overturned, which candidate would be supporting that? Well, according to the um, statements, um, it's clear that uh, our President Trump supports overturning Roe v. Wade and in fact has made judicial nominations based solely on that principle. And it's also clear that Vice President Biden doesn't believe that Roe v. Wade should be overturned. Um, th that's just, th those are the, the behaviors, the, the information that we have for those two candidates. And if my value is supporting health care and pre-existing conditions and nutrition for pregnant women, that sort of thing, which administration would be supportive of that? Well, the candidate that really uh, supports that healthcare for pregnant women, um, ensuring nutrition, all of that is Vice President Biden. President Trump has consistently worked to undermine healthcare uh, as uh, accessibility to healthcare for so many in our nation by trying to overturn the Affordable Care Act. What so many people don't have forgotten is before the Affordable Care Act, to be a woman was considered a pre-existing condition by insurance companies and maternity care was not included in the base uh, health care policy. 
you had to get additional coverage to include maternity care. Now, that for me is not a pro-life stance. And so here's President Trump trying to take away the ACA, take away the protections. He says, oh, we'll take care of it, we'll take care of it. But he's offered no proposals. So we had to say that he does not support health care and nutrition for pregnant women. And Vice President Biden does. What if I am a supporter of survivors of domestic violence or victims of sexual assault? Which, which candidate would I vote for in that case? Well, unfortunately, President Trump has opposed the reauthorization of the, uh, of the law that protects victims of domestic violence. And Vice President Biden wrote the original law and is totally for protecting women and ensuring that there is a, a safety net for them. And so this one was pretty easy since Vice President Biden wrote the original law and supports its, its renewal and President Trump has opposed the renewal of the, the law that protects victims of domestic violence. So this one's pretty clear. Vice President Biden's more in favor of life than President Trump in this one. And of course, I want to ask you about if I'm opposed to racism and white supremacy, it, it's rather apparent that when asked by Chris Wallace in the debate, President Trump could not even mouth the words that he is opposed to white supremacy. So that one is rather obvious. What if I believe that the LGBT community should have respect and equal rights and I support their right to do so? Which, which candidate? Well, once again, we see behavior. Um, I mean, candidates can give lip service to things, but in this case, uh, President Trump's behavior in terms of how he's addressed the military, how he has uh, opposed expansions of workplace protections for the LGBTQ community. Um, we say that he basically is not in support of the dignity of these folks. And Vice President Biden, on the other hand, has consistently supported the, the right of individuals to be protected from discriminatory behavior. And so once again, Vice President Biden is the right choice for a Catholic, in my view. And if I support raising the minimum wage, I think that everyone is entitled to work to be able to support their families and live a basic a basic lifestyle, which candidate do I support? <laughs> well, once again, behavior tells us. Uh, Pope Francis says that wages should be not just enough to keep minimum food and a food on the table and a roof over your head, but wages should be sufficient to provide for a bit of recreation with your family, to ensure that you can save for uh, retirement and to ensure that you can support your children, you know, with education and all of these important values or uh, services that we value. Well, um, it is clear uh, President Trump has consistently opposed uh, increasing wages. He says that the needs of business are more important. The profits on the market are more important. Whereas Vice President Biden has consistently worked and spoken out in favor at least of 
uh, $15 an hour as a minimum wage, you know, we're still stuck at $7.25 an hour. And it's been this way since 2008. I mean, that's shocking. That's shocking. And you know, tip workers, those who work in restaurants and fast food, um, uh, in restaurants are only paid $2.13 an hour as their minimum wage because, oh, they're supposed to get all these big tips. But the painful reality is, is that they don't. So it's abundantly clear to me that Vice President Biden's effort to care for workers is really important and much more in line with Pope Francis's teaching on the issue of just wages. So we support Vice President Biden on this one. And the issue of immigrants is extremely controversial. But if my value system is that while there needs to be maybe some control about who comes through, who comes across our border and who doesn't, if I care about people who are running from injustice or that there needs to be humane treatment of immigrants, even as they are held in custody, if I'm opposed to children being locked up in cages and separated, I think it's rather obvious which administration we'd have to support. Absolutely, absolutely. The, the actions of this Trump administration are horrifying, shocking, inhuman, that we would tear children from their arms of their parents. I mean, it, it, it's horrifying. And uh, Vice President Biden has consistently spoken out in favor of a just immigration policy that we can, in fact, regulate immigration. One of the pro big problems is, is we're not responding to the needs in our society. Pope Francis's brand new encyclical that just came out on October 4th has a really important analysis of how we are all connected in the globe and that our immigration policy has to address both the fear, the violence, and the environmental forces that are causing people to flee their own homes. We just heard on our bus about uh, a African people fleeing the environmental degradation of their homelands. They flee to Brazil and then try to work their way up all the way to the United States because that is seen as a place of hope. That's who we used to be. But the Trump administration has made us anything but, and they're currently reducing even further the amount, number of refugees that they're scheduling to receive next year into our nation, our rich nation. It's horrifying. So there is no question on this one. Vice President Biden is in keeping with our Catholic faith, and President Trump has failed every test on the issue of immigration. He has generated fear, division, um, and a toxicity that is tearing us apart. It's not good for our nation. We can't support his policy. And maybe the last issue I'll touch on are the dreamers. If an infant or a young child is brought to this country by their parents and they've lived here all their lives, they've been productive citizens, they know no other country but ours, and I support that they be given a path to citizenship, who do I vote for? <laughs> oh, this one's easy. <laughs> it's abundantly clear that uh, Vice President Biden, who was part of the administration that created the DREAMers program, the DACA program. Uh, so the, the fact is, is Vice President Biden has a heart for the people. 
And President Trump has attempted to manipulate and to generate fear division. And so it's easy. If you believe in Catholic social teaching, if you hold our Catholic values, Vice President Biden is the one to choose, not President Trump. So I've just touched on a few of the issues, but if our listeners would like to check out this scorecard, go to networklobby.org slash news slash, oh, excuse me, excuse me. Let me start again. Check out network advocates, networkadvocates.org slash 2020 election slash scorecard. That's it. Have that right? That's right. Or you can just Google equally sacred scorecard and it'll probably pop up. All right. Equally sacred scorecard. I think it's an invaluable scorecard. You have a short version, you have a long version, but if people really want to evaluate their values and decide where to fit and where they belong, that is the way to go. We are at a place where our president is currently hospitalized and may or may not be being released today. What should the, what, what did those of us believe and what should we do as this whole thing is about to unfold? He's going to return. We're looking at the possible replacement of our beautiful Justice Ginsburg. What can the average person do? Is there anything that we can do out there as this is about to happen? Well, yes, uh, we're a democracy. And so what the average person can do in the United States is call their senators and express their opinion on Judge Barrett. Uh, I personally find her decisions quite disturbing. Um, and I find her, it's not just on the issue of overturning Roe v. Wade, but the fact that um, she apparently doesn't believe that our nation should have protective laws to protect against discrimination. She's ruled against uh, a, the requirement that a prosecutor turn over all the evidence, including evidence in, that uh, indicates a defendant was not guilty, uh, that the, the prosecutor didn't have that responsibility. I mean, there are, there's a whole list of concerns that I have about her uh, decisions that does not make her a good candidate for the Supreme Court. So listeners can call their senators and say, don't do it. Or if listeners believe that it should be up to the new uh, uh, president elected in this cycle, um, then just call and say that. We need to be busy in our democracy. We can feel like it's all being done unto us, but we need to stand up, claim our rights and our roles as citizens and use our voice. That's what we need. And we can make change happen. I've seen it too often. It works, do it. I don't know if this is the spirit at work or what, but we've got, we've got Lisa Mikowski and Susan Collins who've already said they feel that it's inappropriate to cast their vote in this way. Now, since the uh, Rose Garden announcement about the new justice replacement, three senators and a whole slew of staff um, have contracted COVID along with the president and the first lady. 
but with three senators plus two more who have who have declared they they would not support this Mitch McConnell may have a problem about being able to gather the senators together because it is i believe a law that they have to gather in person they have to gather in chambers this cannot be done by some remote means is that correct that is true the final vote uh, the the committee can vote by proxy but the complete senate cannot so uh judge barrett's nomination could be uh proceed with a virtual um hearing and could proceed with proxy voting out of the committee but then when to go to the floor of the senate then the floor vote would have to be in person we shall see we shall see i know they've already had to postpone their uh, rushing this into decision now because they cannot call the senate together i mean they know that, that that's a problem well well actually let me just correct that because the committee is still going to meet on october 12 they're saying and hold the hearings that week the senate itself is not scheduled to come back until october 19 at the earliest so we'll see how this all pans out you know this passing of justice ruth ginsburg leaves the supreme court with just an unfortunate opening at at an un- untimely place but let, let's just in her honor talk about some of the issues that she stood for and fought for and dedicated her life to i admire this woman so very much oh absolutely rini i mean she she was brilliant i mean in her litigation around I mean she, as a lawyer she basically created the argument that uh women were a protected class when it came to engagement in business and government and all that sex discrimination was never known until she got started and um she created this whole department to argue about discrimination against women and then on the bench she was the most thoughtful foresightful uh justice either in the majority when she ruled you know got to write a, a decision going through the facts she always believed that you only created one uh brick at a time you put in a brick of democracy and you moved it incrementally forward and that if you moved too quickly it was going to create chaos and it would not satisfy the needs of our democracy so her uh judicial demeanor was critical but the other piece was that in her dissent she showed the way to repair the um uh, the problems in a case and the best one is the Lily Ledbetter uh case because yes. Lily Ledbetter was prejudiced because she didn't know she was being discriminated against so she didn't bring a lawsuit in time it was a very technical argument but what uh Justice Ginsburg did in the dissent Well, she set out how the law needed to be I mean she basically wrote the law of what Congress needed to do. And so early on in the Obama administration they passed the Lilly Ledbetter Act. And um I had the honor of meeting Miss Ledbetter um and she said I remember she said, "Oh, that was the best case to lose ever because of the fact that we could fix the law for everyone." 
And um, so it was both Justice Ginsburg's, you know, really well-crafted uh, majority opinions, but almost even more important was her dissents where she showed the way forward to repair. Now there's still some issues hanging out there like Shelby that we still need to uh, respond to, but we haven't had the chance. But she definitely was a, a brilliant jurist, a warm-hearted woman, and uh, a, you know a, a great witness for our nation for our nation in this challenging time. And I noticed that even when she lost, she used that opportunity to make such valuable and important points that sometimes losing was better than winning. Right, I don't know if she felt that way, but it certainly <laughs> made more change. It certainly made more change. And I think as a real tribute to her was Chief Justice Roberts talking about how she always drew people together. Even if she disagreed, she drew people together. And uh, she witnessed at, uh, uh, or we witnessed that, especially like between uh, Justice Ginsburg and Justice Scalia, who was extremely conservative. But she found a way to always listen, engage him in conversation, try to help him move. But it was that sense of building relationship, which was key for her. You know, I know that a motto that you have who we elect matters. Subtly put on my wall, yes. <laughs> so subtle. <laughs> and I think about what you just said about the ability to draw people together. I think one of the important qualities for me in choosing a president is that I want to find one who is able to draw people together and not be divisive. I personally find President Trump so very divisive and I see Uncle Joe for all of his strengths and all of his weaknesses and I think we all know who he is the, the good the weak the strong all of it but he is a person who I think will truly be a president whether it's for the people who elect him or the people who don't elect him he will be a president who will try to draw us together for all that quality for me is extremely, extremely important. Oh, I, I share that uh, perspective. And I think what's really critical is that democracy requires collaboration. Democracy requires people of different views talking to each other. Democracy requires that we work together to find a shared way forward. Uh, television uh, shows may benefit from polarizing anger or division. Democracy requires collaboration. So for me, yes, the way forward is not four more years of this experience. It's the wrong way. And we're doing this show at a time when Pope Francis has just come out with his new encyclical. And I know many of our listeners will not have been able to have read it or paid attention to it yet. You have, you have read it. I have read it. Yeah, it was my weekend activity. <laughs> Share a little bit about what you got from it, because I think this is just so timely that this is coming out at this particular time in what's going on in our country. Well, th this is a letter to the whole world, but the whole world will take it and apply it to their own uh, experience. But what he really talks about is the, the critical role of how we come together to collaborate 
and that we cannot be isolated from each other in our very small planet. And one of my favorite parts starts at, uh, let, me, let me get it here. He talks about social and political clarity. This is about paragraphs 177, 178. He talks about the requirements that we have a clarity about a shared vision for our future. And that shared vision has be to be both national, but transcend national boundaries. Because he says, global society is suffering from grave structural deficiencies that cannot be resolved by piecemeal solutions or quick fixes. And so he says what we have to do is, yes, we have to look at our national interests, but we have to do it in the context of the global connection. And as he's pointed out before, he is the only world leader who doesn't have a boundary. He has no frontiers because he is a leader of the whole world. And so he can see the global interconnection and how critical that is. And then challenges nations to really come to the realization, what he calls is the exercise of political love that we need to put into our politics, a love and inclusion that lifts all up. It, it, it's really an exciting, exciting document. I could go on. We ought to have another conversation about that. I'll go on forever. <laughs> we will. Sister Simone Campbell, thank you. Thank you for your tireless work on behalf of the rights of Catholic Christians today. We need you standing up for us to the leaders of our country. And to our listeners, if you have a question that you want to ask of Sister, please feel free to use our message system right now, and we will broadcast that as well. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rini. Great to be with you.